Welcome to the Channel for Grace Uncut podcast. This is a deep dive into my life, my stories, my experiences, the things that I love to talk about, the things that inspire me, and my thoughts and observations about the world. This is a podcast where you'll mostly find me sharing myself uncensored, but where you will also meet amazing guests and hear about topics that will inspire you to keep learning, to keep searching for your truth, and to guide you to be unapologetically you. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited today to talk to you about the Aquarian Age and everything that has to do with the Aquarian Age because this is a phrase and a topic that we have been hearing about a lot lately. Astrologers are talking about it, uh, spiritual teachers are talking about it, and communities are talking about it, but what does it really mean? And I think a lot of us don't really have all the information or maybe enough information to really understand what it's about. And so diving into this topic at a very powerful time right now where we are having this uh, new moon in Aquarius that we just had is a very powerful activation of the Aquarian age energies and the Aquarius energies. And so I'm excited to share with you my insight and my perspective on what is the Aquarian age and what do we do now that is here. So what is the Aquarian age? The Aquarian age is a period of time uh, about 2,160 years long that marks a specific time in humanity. I want to read to you an excerpt from a book called Awakening the Planetary Mind, written by Barbara Hanclaw, because I feel like it gives such a beautiful picture of the whole intricacies of, you know, the ages, the astrological ages, and the procession of the equinoxes. And I, and I really feel like this information will help you to understand what is an astrological age, such as the Aquarian age. So here we go. Precession occurs because our axis is tilted, not vertical, as it travels around the sun. From our vantage point on Earth, as we orbit the sun, the sun eclipses the stars behind itself, which is why the circle around the sun is called the ecliptic. Precession occurs because as Earth orbits the sun, it turns on its axis tilted at an angle of about 23.5 degrees from the true vertical, and it also wobbles. This results in a 26,000 year-long funnel motion that causes Earth's axis to trace an imaginary circle in the stars around the North and the South Poles. If Earth's axis were vertical, the stars about the poles would circle eternally in the same places. Instead, the polar stars move like huge serpents, and on today's horizon, the locations of the stars move about one degree every 72 years. Precession is usually observed by tracking the sun rising in specific zodiacal constellations at the spring equinox. 
the vernal point on the ecliptic. For example, during the spring equinox 10,800 to 8,640 years ago, the vernal point was in Cancer. And this was the age of Cancer, when the sun rose in Cancer in the spring. In the year 2000, on the first day of spring, the sun rose in the overlapping edges of the Pisces and Aquarius constellations. So people talk of the coming age of Aquarius. Astrologers and astronomers give dates from AD 2000 to 2800 for the end of the age of Pisces and the beginning of the age of Aquarius, pinpointing the exact time of the transition from one age to the next is arbitrary because it is difficult to say when one constellation ends and another begins on the ecliptic. The Pisces constellation is a huge spread between stars seen as two fish. Right now, the vernal point is near the end of the second fish of Pisces, but also the water bearer is pouring water over the vernal point. So the emotional nature of Aquarius is here now. Besides observing the vernal point in the constellations, the processional influence is very clearly and simply described by the Platonic Great Year, a concept that was well-defined by the early Greeks and exists in the Vedic structures. In the Great Year, the constellations are divided into 12 Great Ages, or months, that are each 2,160 years long. This is a very useful tool because the division of the constellations is otherwise arbitrary if done on a visual basis. Constellations rising at the spring equinox gradually give way to the next ones. So where is the end or the beginning? And how many constellations are there on or near the ecliptic? This is arbitrary, and thousands of years ago, astronomers used fewer constellations, whereas the Maya divided the sky into 13. In this book, I explore the possibility that procession began only 11,500 years ago, since before that, some ancient texts suggest that the stars move through the night skies in unchanging circles. This would be the correct description of the stars if there were little or no tilt of the Earth's axis. I present evidence that humans began tracking processions, slow movement, on the horizons only 8,000 to 10,000 years ago, when there is evidence for profound changes in cultures that may have been brought on by seasonality. Many others have suggested that procession is a post-cataclysmic phenomenon. So I'm going to use this possibility as a working hypothesis. Historians say that Hipparchus discovered precession around 2,300 years ago. However, Plato's great year and the Vedas describe precession, and they predate Hipparchus. Numerous modern scholars have concluded that Hipparchus used much earlier Babylonian data that was on procession, that was based on procession. In fact, procession has been tracked for many thousands of years. It was of immense importance to early human societies, and the discovery issue is actually an argument 
about the mechanics of procession, which is by no means scientifically certain because it is all a matter of perspective. For example, Walter Kutenden of the Binary Research Institute notes that the processional theory that is currently being used and described herein posits that precession is due to Earth completing a 360-degree wobble on its axis, meaning it is a movement of Earth, not the Sun. Yet, Kutenden notes, the ancients would tell us it just seems that way, because the Sun, carrying the Earth with it, completed one orbit around a nearby star, meaning that it is mostly due to the movement of the sun carrying the earth on a journey through space, not earth moving independent of the solar system. I strongly suggest that Kutendan is going to be proven right about precession, especially if astrophysicists cite the sun's probable binary star companion, but this is beyond the scope of this book. My primary focus, whether the axis first tilted 11,500 years ago or not, is that this was a time when a radical shift occurred in human cultures. D.S. Allen and J.B. declares cataclysm compelling evidence of a cosmic catastrophe in 9500 B.C., offers convincing evidence that Earth's axis was pulled into its tilt by fragments of a supernova from the Vela star system that blasted into our solar system in 9500 BC. According to these authors, before the Earth's axis was vertical and we lived in the Golden Age. Many scholars have noted this distinctive shift in cultures 11,500 years ago when the Pleistocene epoch closed and the Holocene began. began. My working hypothesis is that the advent of procession in 9500 BC caused this cultural shift by fundamentally altering our experience of climate and time, and humanity was forced to adopt agriculture in response to the new seasonality. Regardless, it is virtually certain that a great cataclysm changed everything on earth 11,500 years ago. And that is from the expert of Barbara Hansclaw's book, Awakening the Planetary Mind, which I highly recommend you read. So when this cataclysm occurred and the seasons began to occur on Earth, essentially, there were floods and ice storms and, you know, humanity began to work, have to work to actually survive. The Golden Age before the Great Cataclysm was a time um, that there was perfect harmony on Earth, where many beings from other planets and galaxies were present here to help humanity grow and evolve. This is the time of the Anunnaki, the great giants that walked on Earth, and it was believed that even after the cataclysm, especially in Egypt, beings from the Syrian star system were present on Earth. The Egyptian pharaohs and the queens resemble beings 
not of this earth. You can see it in the way they look and the, the, the shape of their heads and what they wear and, and the symbols around them. You don't really have to look very far to, to see that, to notice that. So what happened after this cataclysm? After the cataclysm, humanity began to have to survive and rediscover itself in new ways, and we forgot what heaven was like. It oddly resembles the story of Adam and Eve getting thrown out of the garden. Was it punishment? Was it by accident? Was it just history? This is not something that we will probably ever know or can know, but what we do know is that humanity was forever changed. As the vernal point aligned itself with different constellations every 2,160 years, something incredible occurred. The essence of that constellation actually affected life on earth. It is the age-old saying, as above, so below. The procession of the equinoxes began with the age of Leo in 10,960 BC. The age of Leo was a partial age when humans began their first experience with an altered sky and an altered landscape. So during this time, we separated our identities into gods and humans. So the gods were separate from from us. And then came the age of cancer, when we discovered the earth's, that earth's women's were goddesses of eternal birthing with their consorts. We discovered the goddess. When the age of Gemini came, we became fascinated with order and time. And Barbara Hanklaus also speaks that during the age, all of these ages, you know, all of these descriptions come from her book, but during the age of Taurus, we organized ourselves in cities and also worshiped the goddess too. Hathor and Isis are very prominent during this time. When the age of Aries arrived, we fought for control over these cities and temples. And during the age of Pisces, we sought connection with the spiritual realms to heal ourselves. To heal our species. Now each age really carries its energy into the next. It merges with it and yet creates a whole new focus. As we begin to move into the Aquarian age, we can see that much of our focus is on technology and outer space. As are we technically getting ready to reconnect with our galactic family? Because that's something that I believe is happening. Are we getting ready to advance so far with technology that we cannot even comprehend or imagine? I believe that is happening as well. Astrology is an amazing tool that can help us make sense of our physical environment. Whatever is going on in the sky is also going on here on earth. We are simultaneously living in all dimensions at, as, at once. Parts of us are energetic. Parts of us are mental. Parts of us are emotional. Parts of us are psychic. Parts of us are invisible. And parts of us are physical. People forget this or they just are unaware of it. We have been taught so much that if we can't see it, it is not real. But that's a flawed belief. That's not true because often you don't have to see it to believe it. You actually have to believe it to see it or feel it to know that it is real.
I have often heard people talk about astrology as if it's just a play on words and symbols and archetypes, like a nice tool that humans invented to help them make sense of the physical world. But how is it possible for one person today that, and for one person to to believe that today, and yet for another to prove that, you know, quantumly that there are other dimensions and that, you know, interdimensional travel and time travel is possible and that there are parallel universe. How can you say that astrology is just a made up thing and then also say there are such things as just chakras and energy centers? My point is you can't have it both ways. You can't say astrology is bogus and then turn around and say that other dimensions exist, right? Because astrology is a realm of another dimension. The stars affect us. They always have. And learning about them and knowing about them has always been something that we've been drawn to as a humanity, as a species here on earth looking up, out, towards them, towards the universe. Astrology includes all archetypes, all personalities, all starseeds, all dimensions, all of it. It's like an infinite mode of knowledge and also a rabbit hole that never ends so the more you discover the more you realize there's a lot you don't know to me it is a world of magic it's a map it's just like the stars it's like the more we learn about outer space the more we realize we don't know anything so this map can help us understand our 3d world while also help us understand that we are much much more than just physical beings I've read a lot of books and channel, you know, the Pleiadians myself. And the Pleiadians say that we are the keepers of the third dimension. I have a song with these words, but we have forgotten how to listen, to listen to the call of the wild, of the universe. We have forgotten how to breathe, literally breathe in the air, the oxygen, the life force energy of the universe. How to take in this life force energy of all that is. We have severed, you know, ourselves from the rest of our, our, our essence. I mean, we, we, we literally believe that only 10% of us is real and the rest 90% is not. And because we haven't logically had the experience of the rest of the 90% of who we are, right, which is our energy bodies, our higher centers, our chakras, our, our soul, our oversoul, like all of this, right? Because we haven't had an experience of it, it's like, it's not real. Interesting. So if we don't wake up to that fact that we are here to experience magic, if we don't wake up to the fact that the bulk of who we are is energetic and ethereal, and then a little tiny part of us is physical, (laughs) we will never know what we're truly capable of. And I think that we are at a huge juncture right now, a very important turning point where we will not be able to deny anymore who we are multi-dimensional beings having this human experience and when we allow ourselves to explore these other realms we will finally understand the bigger picture of why we are here this shift is already occurring i've been speaking to a lot of people lately about how they feel like you know the people that are aware of their psychic abilities or their intuition these people are actually 
realizing that they're sensitive, they're becoming much more sensitive, that they can't deny the fact that they feel energy and that energy is a big part of our life and our world and our interactions with other people, whether you're in front of somebody or not. You can feel someone's energy through the internet. Literally, you can feel someone's energy through through email. Does that mean that it doesn't exist? No, it's quite the opposite. It means that it's more important than just the physical. We need to pay attention to the energetic world. We need to pay attention to our intuition, to how we interact with each other beyond the physical. So what is this energy of Aquarius that is arriving? In astrology, the constellation of Aquarius is the water bearer. It is the constellation of a man holding a vase of water and, it, and it's pouring, pouring the water out. And from this constellation, the water actually pours into a river, uh, into the constellation of the southern fish who drinks the water from the river. I want to read to you the description from of the constellation from the book Fixed Stars in the Chart by Oscar Hoffman. This is what he says about Aquarius. This is said to be the most human sign, the cup bearer pouring out sweet water. It is the only zodiacal constellation in which we find sweet water. This indicates the meaning of the myth. The purified water can be drunk and is not that wild salt water of desire. This purification theme associates Aquarius with Ganymede, the most beautiful, that is the purest of mortals, who was carried to Olympus by an eagle to serve the wine at the feast of the gods. So in this way, sweet water or purified water or purified desire is transformed into the pure wine of the spirit, a theme echoed in the Bible in the story of the wedding at Cana. It is all about purifying the desire water by distilling it until the water is pure and ready to be poured out, poured out as a healthy sweet water. The tamed desires are turned into wine. This constellation is associated very much with secrets, with the esoteric, with occult, with hidden energies, the jar filled with valuable sweet water, and the process of making it have to be protective from the impure environment. And the stream of the water poured by the cup bearer streams into the mouth of the southern fish or the star Fomalhaut, which is one of the royal fixed stars in the chart representing the birth of Christ, connected to Archangel Gabriel, who brought the message to Mother Mary that she would have the child of God. So the taming of the water is the preparation for spiritual birth. And the symbol of the zodiacal sign of Aquarius clearly illustrates this theme. We have two waves of zigzag lines repeating the twofold glyph of Libra, also an air sign and associated with the theme of human and divine dimensions. In Aquarius, a fixed sign, the process of purification is up and running, with the zigzag lines pointing to activity driven by the heat of the sun. Aquarius can be seen as part of the traditional water cycle. The raw water evaporates and comes down as purified sweet water, fertilizing the earth. 
Purification is painful and requires sacrifice, and therefore Saturn rules the sign of Aquarius. The sun that drives the process from the outside is not at home here, so it is in detriment in Aquarius. The theme of this constellation is painful purification into a condition of real humanity as a preparation for spiritual birth, hidden things, and the occult. And that's from Fixed Stars with a little bit of commentary in between of mine. Uh, Fixed Stars in the Chart by Oscar Hoffman, another book I highly recommend you guys get. This is powerful stuff. If this is the energy that we are shifting into as a humanity, then how are we to approach it? And wow, are we here for a wild ride? The purification has already started. In 2020, we saw Saturn meet Pluto in a powerful conjunction in Capricorn. This conjunction was the beginning of the end of the structures of society as we know them. From this point on, the old world is dying and the new world is beginning. And that is why 2020 feels like a collective dark night of the soul on earth because we are all globally being affected by this powerful shift and no one can escape it. We are all involved. A global event like this has never happened before. That alone should tell you things are changing. And to think that Aquarius rules people, humanity as a whole, you know we are headed to a period in time where we will have to think globally from now on about everything. The sign of Aquarius is an air sign. It represents the higher mind and it is ruled by the planet Uranus. Uranus is the revolutionary of the planets. He is the renegade. He is the unique one. He is the different one. He thinks different. He understands things differently. He can be unpredictable and bring about massive change. And that is a big part of this transition into the Aquarian age. On the winter solstice in 2020, we also saw the great conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter in Aquarius. This was a massive activation for the next 20 years. And just recently, we had the powerful new moon in Aquarius, which coincided with the Chinese New Year of the Ox. This moon was a massive stellium with the sun, the moon, Venus, Mercury, Saturn, and Jupiter in Aquarius, with Venus and Jupiter exactly conjunct, which is a very benefic and auspicious energy, an auspicious sign of the times that are coming. In essence, it is not difficult to see, at minimum astrologically, that the wave of Aquarius energies have arrived on the planet. It is really important at this point to recognize that this type of change does not happen overnight. This process of purification into a condition of real humanity as a preparation for spiritual birth, hidden things, and the occult will take time. Yet as starseeds, we have to remember that we chose to be here now at this time. So it must be pivotal that we continue to do the work, even if we will not be the ones to see it unfold as we know it, and ultimately it will ultimately and it can ultimately unfold. And that is the power of knowing and understanding what is happening from a higher perspective, a multi-dimensional perspective. This higher perspective helps you to not get lost in the chaos. 
because it feels like chaos to be in the middle of the purification, in the middle of the transformation, in the middle of the collective dark night of the soul or the great awakening. What keeps my hopes alive and what can help you during these times as well is to know that we were right all along. We knew intuitively that something was coming, that something was about to happen, that this was not just a coincidence. We've been studying the Mayan calendar and the great prophecies, and they all say the same thing, that a new era is upon us and that it will be up to all of us whether we take it to the other side or not. Think about the star card in the tarot. The star card is basically the Aquarius card, and what it actually represents is hope and wishes. It is the light at the end of the tunnel. The description of the star card in Wikipedia is this. A naked woman kneels by the water. One foot is in the water and one foot is on the land. Above her head is a large star representing her core essences and seven smaller stars representing the chakras, the seven directions, the seven sacred ceremonies, the seven generations, our star family, star seeds, and star nations, the intergalactic family. That was my little addition right there. (laughs) In each hand, she holds a jug. From one jug, she pours a liquid into the water. From the other jug, she pours a liquid onto the land. The star is a tarot card that will appear in your readings when the glimmer of hope is about to shine. This is from a website that I found a description of it. I thought it was beautiful, so I want to share it with you. When your generosity of spirit is making an impact and when your peace of mind has elevated your consciousness to the benefit of those around you, under an illuminated night sky, a nude woman is outside, kneeling on the grass at a pond. Her foot stretches forward onto the water. Holding a clay pitcher in each hand, the woman is pouring water from one out into the pond in front of her. She is simultaneously pouring water from the other onto the green landscape at her side. The water landing is the pond in the pond forms concentric ripples. The water hitting the grass forms streams in every direction. In the sky are eight stars each with eight points. Central to the composition is a large golden yellow star. It is surrounded by the seven smaller white stars on each side. Under this light, the woman concentrates on the pitcher she is pouring into the pond, while the pitcher she is pouring onto the grass is just as precisely releasing its water. The unclothed woman represents both purity and vulnerability. The pictures are symbols of potential, and this scene of the woman releasing their contents underscores how the star card rewards those who are generous at this moment in their life. When we give, we create energy, represented here by the ripples and the streams. The gold star dominating the scene lights up the night in a magical way that the sun never could. In the starlight, vulnerable and pure, giving and genuflecting, the woman will see the world so differently that it will inspire her to create something that is different. This inspiration to create is the manifestation of hope that is the core energy released by the star card. When we have hope, we have something to live for, somewhere to move towards someone to love 
even if it is ourselves. If there is a downside to all of this, it is that the star card is quintessentially an impractical card. The idealism expressed in all of this card's symbols is not solid enough to assist one to feed a family or earn a living. Remember that the star is otherworldly. The concerns of this world are not arranged in the same priority. A fantastic inspiration is something that has no basis in reality. We must work to incorporate our visions of how the world should be with the reality of the way the world is. And that's from Keen.com. So, how can the symbolism of everything that Aquarius represents help us navigate these powerful waters? It can teach us to think about the future, to have hope, to remember to be grateful, and to always shine a light on our path. I hope that this episode has shined a light for you and awakened your higher mind, which is exactly what this powerful Aquarian energy is all about. Thank you, and I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Channel for Grace Uncut podcast. If you loved this episode and this podcast, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. You can find me on MeWe and YouTube as at Channel for Grace, and you can discover a world of amazing offerings on my website. If you want to learn astrology, if you want to learn about what it means to discover your inner sacred feminine, if you're curious about how the current astrology is affecting you, if you want a private astrology reading, compatibility or tarot oracle readings, and if you're looking for sweet handmade zodiac themed jewelry and other designs, go to my website www.channelforgrace.gudu. I will see you again on our next episode.